Gospels, turn to the book of Micah, and we'll be in chapter number four tonight, chapter number four, and if you, those of you that are just picking up in the study tonight, you picked a good night to be here, because uh, there's some pretty gloomy news leading up to chapter four. In fact, when we left off last time, Micah had named the sins of Israel, uh, he had told them uh, about their condition and why they were in the condition they were in where they saw evil as good and good as evil and uh, how God was about to judge them and uh, it was going to be a severe judgment, uh, a, a judgment that would almost destroy them. Well, uh, when things get the darkest, that's the, the neat thing about the Lord, uh, when things get really, really bleak and really, really dark, especially for the children of God, that's when uh, daybreak is coming. That's when the light's about to shine. And, and we're going to see that light shine as we, as we pick up in, in verse number one. And Micah gives this great prophecy of Christ's reign in the millennium and throughout eternity. I mean, it's just a, it's maybe in a dark time, it offers some great hope. Let's, let's pick up in chapter number one. Now remember the pattern that Micah's going through. He's, he's naming the sins. He's pronouncing the judgment or pronouncing the judgment and naming the sins. He does it in different orders sometimes. And then he tells us about the great hope that we have in the rule and reign of Jesus Christ on this earth. And so he's talked about the sins of Israel. He's talked about the judgment. And now we come to verse number one of chapter number four, and he talks about the hope we have in Christ. And listen to what he says. Micah chapter four, uh, picking up in verse number one. He says, now it shall come to pass in the latter days. When are the latter days? The latter days are the very last days. There's the last days and there's the latter days. The latter days, elsewhere in the scriptures, uh, is called the day of the Lord. When we talk about the latter days, we're talking about the day of the Lord. And what's the day of the Lord? Well, some people think it's the battle of Armageddon. Uh, some people think it's the great tribulation. Those things are part of the day of the Lord, but it, we, you've been here long enough. You know the day of the Lord encompasses all the end time things Really, I kind of sum it up like this. It's the day when the Lord takes charge of this earth. At this point in, in history or in this dispensation, men are in charge. Men and women are in charge of this world. And so we see a lot of evil in this world. But there's going to come a point where God is going to come. It's going to begin with the great tribulation. And it's going to end with, this, with, with us going into eternity. But in between, there's a lot of events take place. And we know those events are called what we what scripture calls the day of the Lord. So it encompasses the great tribulation. The day of the Lord begins with the great tribulation and the wrath of God. It actually begins with the rapture, the rapture of the church. If you're part of the church, you'll be out of here. Then will come the, the great tribulation. And then after the great tribulation, at the very end of the great tribulation, that seven years, Christ will return to the earth with his saints to rule and reign for a thousand years. So that thousand years is part of the day of the Lord too. Then at the end of the day of the Lord, or the end of the, I'm sorry, at the end of the millennium, then mankind will rebel against, uh, the, Satan will be released from the pit. Uh, 
mankind will join with Satan or a good portion of mankind. They'll, they'll rebel against the Lord again. You can imagine after a thousand years, a perfect utopia with the Lord ruling and reigning on this earth, mankind still will rebel against the Lord. And that rebellion will be put down instantaneously. There won't be any seven years or seven days or seven hours. It'll be just like that. And that rebellion will be over and we will go into eternity. And that's part of the day of the Lord too. So the day of the Lord is a very, very, very long time. And it begins with the rapture of the church. So he says, now it shall come in the latter days. And now he's going to talk about the rule of the Lord. The mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on top of the mountains. And he shall be exalted above the hills and the people shall flow to it. So when he's referring to the mountain of the Lord here, he's referring to the messianic kingdom of Jesus Christ. Uh, it's the same metaphor that Daniel used when he interpreted uh, the, the dream of Nebuchadnezzar. Let me, let me read to you. You don't have to turn there. But in Daniel chapter 2, listen to what. Daniel said in his interpretation, he says, you watch while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on, it, on, on its feet. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar had that dream of that big image of all the nations of uh, all the empires of the world throughout history. And you broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, all these various empires and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. Now, here, listen very carefully to this. And then he says, and the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. That mountain is the messianic kingdom of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what Micah's referring to here in uh, chapter 4, Micah, verse number 1. He says, now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain, the Lord's kingdom of the Lord's house, uh, it will be the, rule, the, the, the Davidic kingdom, which is the messianic kingdom. It shall be established on top of the mountains. And, and uh, the top of the mountain will be the temple in Jerusalem where the Lord will actually live in physical presence. And all the peoples of the earth will flow to it in that day. I mean, what a, you know, what a wonderful day. I mean, we're, we're, you're talking about, I mean, here's the Lord ruling from the temple in Jerusalem and all the peoples, all the nations flow to the temple to see the Lord and hear the word of the Lord. Sounds a lot like today, doesn't it? I don't think so. The flow is going in the opposite direction today. If you don't see that, you're blind. People are are drifting away. You can say that for a lot of people right here. I'm not talking about in this room, but right here in this, this city. The flow is away from the Lord. I mean, people are, the movement of people in, uh, on this earth is, is uh, in the opposite direction of what it'll be in that day when there's this continuous movement uh, of, of the people to, to gather together and see the Lord and hear him speak. There will be a continuous movement towards righteousness because they'll hear the Lord and the Lord will rule and reign with a, with a rod of iron. And, and so uh, everything will move towards righteousness and goodness, whereas now because it's moving toward the Lord. And there's a lesson there. I mean, you want your life to, to be blessed and you want to you live righteously and you want to do the right thing. Then you got to move towards the Lord. You move in the opposite direction and the more evil you become and the more evil 
the world becomes. And, and, and that's the situation we're in right now. But it won't be that way when the Lord comes. Look at verse number two. Many nations shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. They'll know who he is. They'll know he, the king of Israel and he's the king of this earth, the king of kings and lord of lords. He will teach us his ways. Now, you're going to get some really good teaching in that day. I mean, he's going to teach us his ways. And we shall walk in his paths. We're not really going to have any choice. If you don't want to walk in the path of the Lord in that day, if you don't want to flow towards the temple and towards the the Lord, you want to go in the opposite direction, I got news for you, you won't be here. This earth is going to be made up of people who love the Lord, people who want to hear the Lord, people who want to obey the Lord. If you don't want to obey the Lord, you'll be out of here. There won't be a choice like there is today to, go, to do evil. You won't have that choice. Everybody will do good. And many, and many nations, many peoples will come and say, come and let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to, the, to, the, to, the, to his kingdom, to the house of the God of Jacob, to the temple. And he will teach us his way and we shall walk in his path. For out of Zion the law shall go forth. Now, you and I are not under law. And we won't be under law because where's the law? The law is written on our hearts and minds. And so we, we won't be under law. But, the, but there will be a group of people, a large number of people on this earth during the millennium who are not born again. And they will live under law. Now, we'll, they, they'll live the same way we're living because the law is part of who we are. But we won't be obey the law or else with us. We'll be, we obey the law because we love the Lord and that's who we are. For them, it'll be obey the Lord or else. And, and the law isn't, was never designed to, to harm people. It was designed to protect people and to protect society and to protect children, to protect the world, to protect the environment. The law was for all of that. And, and people are going to see that that's good. And so they're going to listen to that word and they're going to listen to the law and they're going to want to obey the law because they see this utopian society that, that, uh, that is the result of obeying the Lord. And in that day, I mean, I mean, you talk about a wonderful day. I mean, Jerusalem is going to be at the center of the earth. Uh, and uh, the word is going to go out. The word that endures forever is going to go out from the center of the earth. The government of the world is going to be from Jerusalem. Uh, it's going to be a really neat place to be. You go there now, I haven't been there. I've seen pictures of it. And I know a lot of people that have gone there, but, but I don't think it's that, the pictures I've seen, it's not that beautiful. One day it'll be something else to see. And uh, if nothing else, the, the, the Lord will be there in all his glory and we'll be able to see him and listen to his very voice. We listen to his voice now in our spirit, but we'll actually be able to hear his voice from his body. We'll actually be able to see his body. We'll actually be able to see his glory. Verse number three, and he shall judge between many. Really better word there. That word goes back and forth, but it's here. I think it should be translated nations. He shall judge between many nations and rebuke strong nations afar off. You know, it's funny how the nations, uh, the further you, you get away from the, from where God's moving, the darker things are. And so the, the nations that are far off from Jerusalem will be the ones more than likely that will want to drift away from the Lord. But he's going to judge those nations, even though they're far off. 
And they shall, watch this, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. After the first world war, there were a lot of people who thought we had arrived at that point, that people had finally learned their lesson about the terrors of war. And they were finally at the point where they were, countries were willing to lay down their military and just, you know, just live in peace. Well, how did that work out? Not very good because we had another world war, World War II. And, and uh, boy, after World War II, there was a short period of peace and everybody thought, well, we finally have arrived. Some people thought we had entered the millennium. We'd gone through the Great Tribulation and, and now we were entering the millennium. Well, look at the world today. You tell me that, the, I mean, everybody ramping up their military budgets, everybody spending a lot of money on, on jets and bombs and, and uh, all sorts of technical advancements in order to improve their armies. And why do you improve an army? Do you improve an army to go to war? People are preparing today for war. We don't live in this age that, that, that uh, Mike is speaking of here by any means. And uh, his peace that he's going to bring is going to be a lasting peace because he said, neither shall they learn war anymore. Anymore means anymore. There won't be any more wars other than that war I mentioned uh, that will come at the end of the millennium. There will be no other wars. It's very interesting here that, that the middle part of that verse appears on the walls of the United Nations. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. So if you want to go to the, the United Nations building in New York, you'll see that written on the walls, Micah. Uh, chapter 4, verse 3. But I got news for you. The UN does not, I think it does more to start wars than it does to, to bring about peace. Uh, and especially when you look at all of this in the relation, in its relationship to Israel, the things that they're saying in the UN about Israel is only stepping up the are speeding up the clock as we rush towards uh, that peace treaty and that, that actual breakout of the Great Tribulation. So, so the UN is going to be behind, to, to some degree, they're going to be behind what happens in the, in the Great Tribulation. They're not going to bring about this lasting peace that, that Micah uh, speaks of. You talk about taking a verse out of its context. There's only one person who can bring about that peace. It's not the UN. It is none other than Jesus Christ. Uh, the age we live in right now is the age that Joel spoke of. And if you all remember back in Joel when we were there, Joel chapter 3, verse 10, when Joel said, beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears and let the weak say, I am strong because we don't live in an age of peace. We live in an age of wars and rumors of wars. And you can talk about peace all you want. Look, I'm all for peace. I mean, I would love it if we went into that peace. But that peace, is, that peace and safety that people are crying out for is not going to happen until Jesus reigns on this earth. Now, there'll be a false peace that'll come about 
uh, during the Great Tribulation, the first half of the Great Tribulation before, uh, before the Antichrist comes in and commits the abomination of desolation. And we'll be seeing that later on through, through the minor prophets and as we get into Revelation. But you remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter 22. At, after the nation of Israel had rejected him, I mean the king of kings, the king of peace, after they had rejected him, and he knew he was about to be crucified. And he partook of the Lord's Supper with his disciples. You remember what he said? He told the disciples, he who has no sword, in Luke 22, chapter 6, 36, verse 36, he said, he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. I don't think he was calling Christians to go out into a physical war, but what he was saying was, you're entering a time where things are going to get really bad and they're going to be really bad until I come back. It's going to be a time, just as he speaks of in the Olivet Discourse, where there are wars and rumors of wars. That's the age we live in. And I've been around here on this earth for 67 years, and there's never been a time where there hasn't been some kind of war during that time. There were, are there some kind of major rumor of a war? And so peace is impossible uh, without in the heart based, I mean, if it's up to the heart of an evil man, it's only possible by the rule of Jesus Christ. All right. But this age, I got news for you. This age is coming to an end really, really soon. Look at verse number four. But everyone shall sit under his own, under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. The Lord of hosts, Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of the armies, he's going to be in charge of the armies of the world. It's going to be his army. You and I are going to be part of that army. And he's going to speak, and there's not going to be any more wars. There's not going to be any more stealing. There's not going to be any more murder. There's not going to be any more adultery. All of those things are going to be wiped off this earth. And every person is going to have their share. Every person is going to be able to sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree. They're going to have their own business or their own farm. How big that's going to be, I don't know. But once they have it and they're secure in their homes, no one's going to be afraid. Let me tell you what. You won't even have to have locks on your doors. You won't need locks. I don't think we're going to... I don't know if we're going to have horses or cars or what when that age comes. I doubt very seriously we're going to be riding cars. You ever think about that? But if you ride in a car, you won't have to lock it. If you've got a horse, you can leave it out in the pasture. You don't have to worry about it getting stolen. You and I will be flying around, I think, at that point. So we don't have to worry about anything. But, but uh, the people who are living on this earth, there will be nothing here, nothing to make them afraid. There will be no disease. There will be no... There'll be, no, there'll be no hospitals because there's no disease. Uh, there'll be no de- police department. There, all of that stuff will be gone. The locks, everything will be gone because the people that are here will live by the law. And there won't be a, there will, uh, this won't be a place for adulterers and liars and cheaters and thieves and the kind of people that, that kind of uh, have power in this world today. All of that's going to be gone. And It'll be a time of total peace and total rest, total bliss. The Lord has spoken. And then in verse number five, he says, 
for now all, for now all people, I, I add the now there, for now all people walk each in the name of his God. Now you want to, you, you, you want to do an interesting study. Study all the religions of this world. There are a lot of religions in this world. There are a lot of false gods that people worship in this world. There are all sorts of denominations with Christianity. There are all sorts of, of, of ways supposedly to worship God. And he says, for right now, all people walk each in the name of his God. You pick and choose who your God's going to be. As for me and my house, we'll, we'll serve Jehovah God. But you've got a choice. You've got a choice. I don't know how anybody can make any other choice but to serve Jehovah, but you've got a choice. But that's not going to be the case when we enter into the millennium. But we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. You know what he's saying right there? There won't be any false religions on this earth in the millennium. You won't be able to worship Muhammad in, in uh, the millennium or in eternity. You won't be able to worship Buddha or you won't be able to worship the Hindu gods. There, there, won't, there won't be any Muslim faith. There won't be any Hindu faith or Buddhist faith. There won't be any denominations. There won't be any apostate Christian churches. Everything will be made right in that day. And if you're here, there's only one God who will be worshipped, and that's Jesus Christ himself. And we'll worship him forever and ever and ever. That's a far cry to where we're at right now. It's really... In the, even in the United States of America today, the most, I believe the most persecuted religion is Christianity. I don't know if you saw this past week when Bernie Sanders went on that route against, on that, went on that rant against uh, Russell Voigt, Trump's uh, nominee for deputy director of the national budget. Did y'all see all the things he said about him? I mean, and, and he was, he was, going through the screening process and, and uh, Sanders uh, you know, you know, just went on a rant, man. He started really bad-mouthing the guy. And, and he said, you know, he wrote a piece about Islam and called Islam a deficient religion. And uh, Russell Voigt said that those who die in uh, the Muslim faith will be condemned. That's what I believe. Now, he didn't say that during the committee hearing. He said that years ago, he wrote a piece about that. Well, Bernie Sanders, some of his people researched the guy, and they saw where he had written this piece about uh, the, really, I think, trying to witness to, to Muslims that, hey, you're in the wrong faith. You can end up in hell if you stay in that faith. And, and uh, Sanders went off on his rant, and he said his, his uh, statement was uh, indefensible. He was intolerant. Uh, he was bigoted. Intolerant. It's funny how he, he called him intolerant, and he's intolerant of what he believes. And he said that he was disqualified to serve in any capacity in the United States government, which really what he's saying is any Christian who really believes the Bible is not qualified to serve in any capacity in the United States government. And so uh, uh, that's where we're at. But uh, all that's going to change. If you don't like Jesus now, you're probably not going to like him in the millennium. And I got news for you, you won't be here. You won't be here. 
that because there's going to be that separation between the sheep and the goats, and the goats are not going to be here during the millennium. In verse number six, he says, In that day, says the Lord, I will assemble the lame, I will gather the outcast and those whom I have afflicted. Now he's talking about the regathering of the nation of Israel. He's in, in all of these passages prior to this, he's talked about the judgment of Israel and how they're going to be scattered throughout all of the nations. And they're going to be some small regatherings of the nation. I think when, when uh, uh, Ezra and Nehemiah went back to uh, reestablish Jerusalem after uh, the, uh, after the, the scattering by Nebuchadnezzar, about 35,000 Jews went back. So that's not a regathering, not a large regathering. And over time, a million or so Jews were back in that land. But they've never been totally regathered back into Israel. Well, there's some regathering going on now. Uh, it started in 1949 when Israel became a nation. But something really bad has to happen to these people to get them to go back to that land. I mean, right now, it's not something they really want to do. You see some French Jews now heading to Israel and, and uh, settling in Israel because of all the terrorism that's go coming against the Jews right now in, in France. So, so you see some of this now. But, but that's still not the regathering that he's talking about here. Because look at what he says. In that day, says the Lord, I will assemble the lame. I will gather the outcast and those whom I have afflicted. He's afflicted the nation of Israel because that of their sins. That's what Mike has talked about up until this point. He says, I will make the lame a remnant and the outcast a strong nation. So the Lord will reign over them on Mount Zion from now on even forevermore. So he's speaking of this, this regathering of the nation of Israel, Israel, this lame nation that will be made into a great nation, actually the greatest nation on earth during the millennium. Then in verse number eight, he says, and, and you, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the days of Zion, to you, it, to you shall it come, even the former dominion shall come. Now what father, former dominion is he talking about right there? He's talking about the days of David and Solomon. That was probably the golden age of Israel. That was probably when it was the greatest, uh, had, had the most influence on this world that it ever had and never will have until the millennium. So he says, and to you, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter, daughter of Zion, to you shall it come, even the former dominion shall come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. So they'll have this uh, new dominion as great as David and Solomon's kingdom, even greater, because one greater than David and Solomon will be on the throne. The one on the throne at that time will be the king of kings and lord of lords, none other than Jesus Christ himself. All right, now Mike has taken this text and he's opened up uh, the heavens and he's shown us this great hope and this great light and, and uh, that, that Israel has and that the whole world has. Now he goes back to to uh, talking to them about the coming judgment. And uh, we want to pick up uh, in verse number nine. He says, now, well, in the future, all of those things we just talked about are going to happen. But now, why do you cry aloud? I mean, why are things so bad? Is there no king in your midst? Well, really, there was no king in their midst. It certainly wasn't the Messiah in their midst. 
when they went into captivity, Manasseh was their king, maybe the worst, or one of the worst kings ever. Or just before they went into captivity, Manasseh was their king. And then Zedekiah uh, and some of those terrible kings that, that uh, Israel had. Has your, has your counselor perished? I mean, are your prophets still speaking? Uh, is there still, are you still hearing counsel from the Lord? And the answer to that is no. For the pangs have seized you like a woman in labor. What he's telling them, because of your sin, because of your rebellion, you're about to be judged and you're going you're gonna to experience pains like a woman in labor. And I think he's speaking about to Judah here about the Babylonian captivity because look at verse number, the last, or the first part of verse number 10. He says, be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in birth pains. For now you shall go forth from the city, you shall dwell in the field and to Babylon you shall go. In that, in that day when Micah was speaking to them, uh, he was preparing them uh, for the future judgment that was going to come through Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. And that's exactly what happened in 586. Nebuchadnezzar came down to Judah. And if you go back to chapter 3, verse 12, uh, that prediction is exactly what Nebuchadnezzar did to Judah. He says, therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed like a field. Jerusalem shall become heats of ruins and the mountain and the mountain of the temple like the bare hills of the forest. And Israel was going to be totally wiped out and then a remnant was going to be taken into captivity. Very few were going to survive that. And uh, uh, he talks about that in the last part of verse 10, he says, there you shall be delivered. Now, how in the world could you call a captivity like that a deliverance? Because when that army came down and destroyed Babylon, when, when, most of, when the Israeli army was wiped out, they, they were a helpless people. And, uh, and I'm talking about the remnant, those who didn't die. Most of the Israelites died when Nebuchadnezzar came down there. Same was true for the northern kingdom when when uh, Sennacherib came down and, and attacked the northern kingdom and, and took them into captivity. Both nations had a remnant. And, and, and actually, by them taking them away and scattering them into areas where they had uh, their forces, they actually were there to protect them. If they had left them down in Israel, they all would have been wiped out and there wouldn't have been a remnant. So he says, there you shall be delivered. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Can you imagine what the Philistines and the Moabites, the Amorites, and, and all of those enemies of Israel would have done if they had left them unprotected down there? They would have, they would have, they would have been wiped out in, in, a, in a heartbeat. So, so actually by the, by the Lord nurturing them and taking them off into captivity, he actually, he actually saves them. And then now he's going to step way out in the future as we look at verse number 11 and 12, and he's going to talk about the great tribulation, and he's going to talk about Armageddon, and maybe a precursor to this would be when Titus came down and he attacked Jerusalem and, and virtually destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed the temple, uh, but that was maybe a labor pain, just like Nebuchadnezzar's attack on Jerusalem was a labor pain, but the great labor pains are going to come, the the really rapid labor pains leading up to the coming of the Lord are going to come during the Great Tribulation. 
And that's what he's speaking up here, here in verse, these last few verses that we'll look at. He says, Now also many nations have gathered against you who say, Let her be defiled, and let our eye look upon Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord, nor do they understand his counsel. For he will gather them like sheaves to the threshing floor. He's talking about Armageddon. He's talking about that last battle when all of these nations come down to Israel, either to fight Israel, the Antichrist, you know, there's different uh, theories about that, but all the armies of the world are going to come down upon that nation. But they're not coming down there to get victory. They're coming down there to be judged. That's what he's saying here in verses 11 and 12. And then he says, the last verse of the chapter, he says, Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make your horn iron, and I will make your hoofs bronze. You shall beat in pieces many peoples. I will consecrate their gain to the Lord and their substance to the, to the Lord of the whole earth. In other words, they're going to come down and they're going to become the spoil. They're coming to take a spoil, but they're actually going to become the spoil. And uh, Israel is going to benefit from that. And the Lord of the whole earth is going to benefit from that. And the whole earth is going to benefit from that. All the peoples of the earth are going to benefit from what happens in the battle of Armageddon because God will wipe out all the evil armies of this world. He'll begin his rule. He'll come back to this earth when he, at, on the day of Armageddon with his saints and he will begin his rule and uh, reign on this earth. And if you want to see that again, just go back and read the first part of chapter number four. When we come back next week to chapter number five, he's going to go... He's kind of moving around in time. He's talked about the millennium tonight. Then he went back to the, to the judgment of Israel. And then in chapter 5, he's going to go to the birth of the Messiah, the first coming of Jesus Christ. So we see the second coming. We see the judgment. And now we'll come back in chapter 5 to the first coming of Jesus Christ. Maybe the most important, if not the most important event in history, because that's when he came to die for my sins and yours. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word, and we, we thank you for, for the hope we have, the hope we have in, in your reign on this earth. Lord, one day, very, very soon, we know that all of these things that are, that are spoken of in Micah chapter uh, 4 are going to come true. And Lord... As bad as it looks now, it's going to be so wonderful in that day. Lord, in the meantime, Lord, you have a, you have a plan for us, uh, a plan of, of good and not evil. And, Lord, you know how to take care of your own even during evil times, and we thank you for that. Lord, and we ask you to, to fill us with your Holy Spirit, to use us in these very last days, to use us in this dark time, to reach those whom you would have us reach uh, for Jesus Christ. Lord, we just ask you to give our life life's uh, purpose and meaning, and, and uh, Lord, we do. We just long so much for the day that you come for your church and you begin your reign on this earth. We just thank you for that hope. It's only possible through Jesus Christ and his blood. We thank you for that. In his name I pray, amen.